was 1976. This is when Apple Computer was created just after uh, Bill Gates' uh, Microsoft. So I would say that uh, the valley was on fire. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Daniel, very well, welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. Same for me. You are the co-founder and chairman emeritus of Logitech, the world's largest manufacturer of computer peripherals with headquarters here in Switzerland. And before we talk about your impressive story, we want to learn more about your personal background. You actually studied physics at the EPFL here in Lausanne, and then you finished your university studies at Stanford in the United States. So I wonder, why did you actually move to the US to complete your studies there? Well, uh, after APFL, I was a physicist. I started a PhD program uh, in plasma physics. And there they were doing a lot of, of simulation on computers. And by doing so, I was extremely then interested about what was behind the windows, because at the time they were big mainframes. And you had to bring your pack of cards. And eventually I wanted to know what was in the machine. So in the US, I found a nice way to go and learn at Stanford, yeah. And I just wonder, how was life in the U.S. and at Stanford, particularly back in the 70s? Well, I mean, it was something very special. It was 1976. This is when Apple Computer was created just after uh, Bill Gates' uh, Microsoft. Mm -hmm. So I would say that uh, the valley was on fire. Microprocessors were coming up. Uh, people were developing the very first uh, operating system, programming languages, and so on. Uh, so I think you could really feel that uh, something was going to happen, like a revolution. And uh, know that uh, as a young guy, we wanted, with my partner Pierre Reggie, we wanted to be part of this revolution. Yeah, you were super motivated and in the middle of that revolution. So what was your, what were your thoughts? What did you want to do after you graduated from Stanford? Well, I think it's, it's no doubt I didn't want to come back to Switzerland uh, because we knew that the action was there. Uh, we wanted to belong to this uh, uh, group of people, of professors, of researchers, of engineers who were clearly on a mission to invent a future which we felt was very compelling. Where did that drive come from? You know, this entrepreneurial drive, was that injected into you from the Stanford University or was that always in your I, DNA? I, I, I have no idea. It's just that, you know, I did a lot of uh, sport when I was young, also water skiing, competition, and uh, you can really see this very stimulating environment and, and you just wanted to do something about it and, and, and be part of it. But it was not easy because both my partner and I, uh, we were... Uh, pretty much a European. We didn't know how to go and look for money. We didn't know what was going to be for us the angle. And eventually we, we decided as a student to be able to put together hardware and software, which we learned at school at Stanford and, uh, and develop uh, one of these uh, word processing system. People might laugh today because it's a big machine for doing something which, which is pretty easy at the end of the day. But um, uh, being European, we felt that we could be different than American with all the accented letters, the mm -hmm. hyphenation modules, which would allow you to cut words automatically. And, uh, and that was the angle we took to, to start and stay of, as, as, a, as a member of this community, if you want. And they actually started the very famous address at 165 University Avenue, uh, where also Google and PayPal uh, were founded, basically, and started out. Please take us back to these early days. How was your office looking like? What did you do these <laughs> well, days? It, it was a very tiny, small office in this place, which, as you said, was became very famous afterwards because it was uh, Google and PayPal. Uh, it was uh, only a 10 square meter little tiny office with a... Uh, with the uh, Good Earth um, restaurant underneath where we could have our breakfast, our lunch and our dinner, if I may say, and working day and night to try to, to develop something. It was, it was a time when, when everything was possible. Uh, there was no barrier, no limitation. And uh, that community was also very international. There was a lot mm -hmm. of European, Japanese and uh, people from Asia. So, you know, it, it, it was just a terrible feeling. You also mentioned your co-founder, Pierluigi. You also had a third co-founder, uh, Giacomo. Where did you meet your co-founders and what actually made you a good team? Well, I guess Pierluigi was, was a co-founder I, I, I studied with at Stanford. Together we made the master. 
Uh, and then we decided to, to, to start something together. And it was called BZ, uh, B-E-Z-Y for Burrell Zappa Costa. It was a, a venture we started and we had no money. So uh, I went to Switzerland for looking uh, for a job first to feed my family and, and look for money. And eventually we found a company locally who, who was kind of interested in our project. We went into it. But um, eventually, along the way, they, they, they decided that it was no more what they wanted to do. Actually, they, they had real big problems. Mm -hmm. And uh, then uh, Pierre Ruggi had a friend of his, uh, Giacomo Marini, who was at Olivetti in Italy, who had worked a little bit as consultant for our previous job, mm -hmm. uh, making the hardware part. And so he joined us to complete the team when uh, we started Logitech in 1981. And you mentioned you then actually moved back to Switzerland. So why was it not an option for you to stay in the United States? Well, I guess that clearly um, my wife uh, had studied uh, uh, veterinary. She was a vet. Yeah. Uh, she wanted to start her own pet clinic. And clearly, uh, unfortunately, diplomas don't travel well. So a degree from uh, Bern University was not recognized in the US. She couldn't work there. So we... We moved back here with the whole family and uh, then I was the one to travel between Switzerland and the US. Got it. And then there's also a legend that you actually started Logitech here in the Canton du Vaud in Apple. And your mother thought that you actually founded Apple Computers. Can you talk a bit about that well, fun aspect? Uh, absolutely, because little by little we, we became more visible, I would say, uh, in the uh, mid 80s. Uh, we started to have a couple of articles about us. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's true that we started in the farm. Uh, you know, in California, they have garage. In Switzerland, we have farms, yes. uh, which is the equivalent uh, to start uh, your business. So we started in the farm of my father-in-law in a small, tiny village um, called Apples. And this is also where we signed our first contract in 1987 with Apple Computer. Uh, actually, the European part of it, they were in Ireland, in Cork Island, uh, Apple Europe. Uh, and we started to get this contract to manufacture mice for them. Uh, so we got more famous as well. But uh, the mix of the Apple village and the Apple company uh, made my mother really thinking that uh, I was one of the founders of Apple Computer. So it was basically a great match from the start, if you want absolutely, to call it that way. Absolutely, yeah. And you founded the company in 1981. Can you talk a bit more how you know the software and hardware world and markets looked like back then? Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I mean, I think we were lucky because it was the microcomputers of the world mm -hmm. which kind of mix hardware and software. In the past, you had hardware on one side, software on the other side on the mainframe. When when these things blur, blur the, the the difference blur, and it basically um, you had to work on both sides. And being software engineers at Stanford, we were able to program in high-level language very quickly those machines and make a difference by product we could finally uh, uh, develop faster than any, any potential competitor. And also in the early days of Logitech, you were also closely linked to the Japanese company Rico. Can you also talk about your setup right there? Well, I mean, clearly when, when we developed our word processing system, uh, Rico was one of those companies, among many others, who had developed a daisy wheel printer. Nobody knows what a daisy wheel printer is anymore, but it was a very interesting uh, printer that you can program as well. Uh, it was not fixed character. It can be variable characters and so on. And uh, this was for our graphic system um, developed. Mm -hmm. And um, when uh, Rico came to visit their customers, we were a small customer, 50, 60 machines, uh, we saw them. Uh, we knew we had no more job with the company in Switzerland. And they got very excited about uh, being able to, to deal with a European who had uh, been trained in the US, them being Japanese who don't always go very well with Americans. So they would have the best of both worlds. And that's the reason why we got a large contract with them for four years. So they did finance a lot of our developments. Uh, they also, when the mouse was actually really developed as the interface between people and this in graphical interface, which mm -hmm. was perfect because uh, you didn't need to have, uh, when you move your hand, there is no language, Japanese, English, right. French, it's exactly the same. And that's the time when we started to have uh, uh, the, um, the computer business of the mouse uh, starting, yeah. So they basically financed your first operations, so to speak. 
Yeah, actually, we had a large group of software, almost 20 or 30 people uh, working and being paid by Rico of Japan, which allowed us to finance the other part. And as a matter of fact, I mean, people might smile nowadays because uh, between 1981, when we started, and 1988, when we went public on the Swiss market, uh, we had only raised twice a, a kind of a f friend and family round mm -hmm. on financing for twice $600,000. So when nowadays you see people who to go public needs uh, millions and millions and millions, yes. you know, we did with only 1.2 million. Yeah. yeah, that's very <laughs> impressive. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. <laughs> Another thing that Rico also had uh, giving you access to was their Palo Alto office. What role did that play to also have this link to the U.S. still? Well, actually, this is, you know, we started here in the farm. But after a while, I mean, clearly uh, my partner was really living in the US where his wife on the other side, it's always a wife story, right? She had a postdoc <laughs> um, a job at, um, at IBM in Palo Alto. Mm -hmm. So we had to kind of face it that um, with Rico of Japan having an R&D center in, in San Jose nearby uh, San Francisco, down south of Silicon Valley, it would have been uh, easier for him and some of the team to actually develop the plans there, the, the product, the project for Rico. So in some way, I, I found myself uh, having to kind of invent a job into Logitech. I was part mm -hmm. of it, but, you know, most of the time spending here in Switzerland with my family. And so the, the Mars business was the one I actually created within the company and going around. And because we were student, former students from Stanford University, uh, we had access to this ancestor of uh, Internet, which is called uh, ARPANET. You can go and watch on the Internet uh, what it is, where it came from. It was a Cold War network, which would never break if it was attacked on one side or the other of the, of, of the world, and especially in the US. And right there, I had a lot of universities, research center, um, Arpa, uh, Lawrence Laboratory in Berkeley, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, AT&T Research Center in New Jersey. And everyone starting to be looking for mice. So we figured out that this could be a, a nice way to, to develop a business. You know, when you are small, you try. And one thing which is very interesting is a mouse is above all a software device. It's not a hardware per se. There is a hardware part of it. But for people to be able to use a mouse, you have to program the mouse into the application. And so we can really, again, use our expertise between hardware and software to make a difference with potential competitor in that field. That's really impressive because often nowadays, if we talk to startup founders, they say, focus on hardware or software, but never do both. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, I think at Switzerland being a small country, mm -hmm. uh, it, it has really a value. Actually, the university like APF, uh, APFL, where we are now, or ETA in Zurich, I mean, it's small enough of universities where you can make a difference and add value at the intersection of technology uh, versus just being monolithic like software, hardware, semiconductor. Uh, if you can mix everything, uh, material, which was important in the case of the Mars, you can make a difference. And I think that's also the reason why we have been able to survive in what has always been an extremely competitive world. Yeah. How did they then actually build the product, you know, with the hardware and software combination? Because that by itself is already quite a, a challenge to solve. Well, it's true. I mean, actually, at the very beginning, the, the Mars itself was, uh, was developed as, as, as a prototype at APFL, where we are. Mm -hmm. uh, then they tried to, to because they also have need for some of them, uh, someone uh, in the Valley Jew, which is the uh, watch, uh, watch, one of the watch place, manufacturing place in, uh, in Switzerland. And uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, the guy who, who uh, was selected to manufacture the mouse, because we, again, we're not manufacturer, we didn't know anything about manufacturing, um, didn't get it just right. And each time he would, he would deliver the product we were ordering for him, from him, uh, there were some rusted parts when we were shipping them to the U.S. because the market was in the U.S. Right. So clearly from 1982, uh, I was really uh, uh, traveling throughout all the U.S., uh, the labs looking for this product. And we started to see some companies because it was the early days of uh, graphic um, computers, if you want, with mm -hmm. graphical screen. Um, and uh, each time we had problems. 
so there were small orders and we we're trying to fix them. And one day we went to HP, Hewlett Packard. Actually, it was thanks to a professor of ours at Stanford University where they contacted HP. HP was uh, developing and promoting their first personal computers, the HP 150. So we went there and they were quite interested about our technology product, but they said that they wanted us to manufacture for them. Of course. And, um, and eventually they trained us and taught us how to, to manufacture. So we had a small manufacturing uh, um, facility in Silicon Valley, producing for HP. But then, of course, when you start doing with HP, we felt that in order to really be certified um, uh, mouse manufacturer, we had to have Apple computer because the Macintosh was clearly the, the ultimate uh, graphical computer with a mouse. Mm -hmm. So we went to Apple in Cupertino and uh, and uh, we showed them the technology we had. They were very interested. Actually, they wanted to buy our technology because they felt you'll never be able to manufacture for us in the quantity we need. Mm -hmm. And uh, we refused their offer. And that's when we went to Taiwan. It was, you know, <laughs> a good a good luck for us because uh, otherwise we'd have just made some money by selling a, a license on our technology. But there we really went all the way to, to, to Taiwan. And in Taiwan, we developed our first... Um, our first um, uh, building, uh, we hired people who knew how to manufacture. We had some experience from HP. And um, that also at the same time that uh, the retail market grew and developed itself. So it took us a few years from 1986, 1987. As I said, we signed the first contract for the first couple of years. Uh, so we produced there in Taiwan our our. Um, uh, mice, very mm -hmm. cost effective, yeah. and uh, we're able to go into the retail market as well. Well, I, I think luck, we, luck, you know, it's always a matter of luck in life, right? <laughs> sometimes, yeah. but you also have to have the right product at the right yeah. time, and yeah. you yeah. certainly did that. So, I just also want to, you know, dive a bit deeper into the different things that you just mentioned. So, first of all, the how to learn to manufacture. I mean, doing that with HP, they sort of helped you to to get those skills Absolutely. up and running. Absolutely. What yeah. did you take away there and what were the volumes back there in the Well, I mean, all, all, all the things you need in manufacturing, right? Quality, uh, suppliers, managing suppliers, logistic and, and everything, you know. And we were lucky because the market was still very small. Mm -hmm. uh, if we would have jumped into a very mature market, we would have died, died right away because it was not possible. So really, little by little, we went from quantity of a, a thousand months to two thousand months to eventually, uh, nowadays, we produce more than 200 million a year. So, you know, we, we had time to learn and, um, and make the difference because, again, software, hardware, uh, yeah. was was for us uh, the way to be to be different than than all the competitors. There are a lot of keyboard competitors, for instance, mm -hmm. but they were either in the US and only plastic injection and so on, didn't know anything yeah. about software. And the Japanese somehow were not very good at developing software. So there too, we, we really could find a niche in between and, and be able to, to conquer the market mm -hmm. uh, very nicely. And in that regard, you know, when we talk about competition, there was also an episode where you actually met Bill Gates and also did business with Microsoft. Can you talk a bit more about that? Uh, yeah, in, uh, in 1982, Apple Computer launched their first graphical-based uh, computer, which was a Lisa, after the name of Steve Jobs' daughter. And then a year after, uh, Bill Gates came up with Word. And the first Word in 1983 was driven also by a mouse, copying somehow what Apple has been doing. And so, um, because Microsoft is a software company, they were certainly not making any product. Um, again, my, my professor at Stanford, uh, who followed us uh, and very encouraging us, uh, said, oh, you know, there is a show, trade show in, in, in LA, nearby LA, and uh, maybe you should go there and see who could be actually customer of, of mm -hmm. yours. And as we went down there, he also one one day said, "Ah, oh, you know, tonight there is a party in Newport Beach where my, it's a Microsoft party, and uh, maybe you can meet Bill Gates, and maybe he could become a customer of yours." Uh, so I went and I met Bill Gates, and I still had the business card where he told me whom I should be talking to at Microsoft in uh, in Redmond uh, near Seattle. And uh, of course, uh, it didn't take me much time to take a plane and. Uh, 
a flight and go to see this guy over there. And, and we had a good relationship. And the only problem is that each time we would give them um, a reason why they should buy our Mars, uh, the tips of what didn't work from hardware point of view and why they should buy from us rather than this Japanese competitor of ours who was supplying Microsoft. Well, we realized that most of the, of the tips we were giving them were actually passed on directly to Alps and who was becoming a stronger and stronger competitor of ours. So finally, we decided not to go after Microsoft anymore and then we became a competitor of Microsoft. How do you actually realize that they were forwarding your information to well, the Well, because any new version of, of their product would would contain some of the great feature we had, our engineers had been uh, developing on our side and so on. But thanks God, we had a lot of, uh, of a possibility to develop uh, at the time what is called the OEM markets, again, for the HP, for the Sony, for the compact computer and so on. And um, little by little, uh, get also into the retail market and uh, and finally win. Did you do anything to sort of sue Microsoft for forwarding your information or how did oh, you fight no, back there? You know, when you are tiny, you just yeah. try to hide from the big monster who can kill you overnight because right. for them, they could have given away the, the mouse if they wanted to and then yeah. we would have really been been dead. No, no, I think that... Um, we, we, we kept actually fighting with Microsoft. I met Bill Gates a couple more times it's some uh, CEO's uh, meeting like in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, it was all kind of an argument there. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think that they brought a lot to this uh, area. They invented yeah. some of the new features like the wheel. At, at, and, and, and at the end of the day, you know, competition keeps you honest and make yeah. you better. So, you know. So I, you had to move faster. In and we have to move faster to run faster than, than, than your competitors. Yeah. You also mentioned the offer that Apple gave you to buy your design, and you said no to that. Um, that also needs some some guts to to say no to the offer of Apple. Yeah, yeah it's true. It's true that I mean, maybe if it would have been the case, uh, you know, a few months earlier. But once we had Hewlett uh, uh, Packard there, and then after Hewlett Packard, you had IBM. They had a section about the uh, the uh, special workstation of the time. Uh, you also had Silicon Graphic. You, I mean, we started to see this market growing and expanding, if you want. Okay. If we had only Apple, we would have said maybe yes, but we saw really right. the potential. And, uh, and, and so there was no way we we're going to give up our dream. We wanted okay. our dream to, to become true. So that was actually an easy decision for you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Even so, it seemed strange. And you say, why not? But sure. yes, it was. And, uh, and eventually we won because Apple computer came back to us and uh, we made their product. Yeah. Fantastic. And then you eventually changed from the OEM B2B market, as you just described, of HP, IBM, and so on, to the consumer market. Yeah, I mean, actually, it has been a, a few steps. I mean, first was the OEM. OEM is very much of an engineering, you know, we were engineers, uh, you know, software engineers, some hardware engineers, but we we're engineers. So, you know, to go to a Sony, to an Apple, and so on, it's very challenging to make products they want. Again, you learn to produce large volume. Mm -hmm. You learn about quality. It's not easy to produce, you know, millions of products. So it was very exciting in itself, but it's also frustrating because your brand is never there. It's uh, the Apple mouse, the HP mouse, the IBM mouse. It's not the Logitech mouse. Yeah. And from uh, 1986, we started little by little to develop software, paint software, graphical um, based um, uh, software so people can use it with a mouse. Mm -hmm. And uh, CatCam uh, also, you know, the CatCam business was a, a large uh, user of, of, of mice. And um, then for us, we, we started to have the feeling of this, you know, retail business. Uh, and so in 1988, when we went public, uh, in just two years, uh, our revenue on the retail was about the same as the revenue on the OEM. We went public with 64 million Swiss francs revenue, of which 32 OEM and 32 retail. So it was very exciting, if you want. The problem was that we got so excited that afterwards, um, we decided to, to invent the future. And inventing the future was to make a Scanman. Scanman, you know, we love Sony and the, uh, the, the image of Sony of being very innovative mm -hmm. uh, as a company. So we developed the scanner, handheld scanner, uh, Scanman. Then we went with Audioman, uh, audio there. Uh, then we went with Wingman into the joystick business, all of that. And then Photoman, the first digital photo camera, um, which were great. And journalists loved it. 
the problem and we got a lot of pricing for innovative products but unfortunately they never sold the same way the mice were selling and then we ended up with pretty heavy inventory in some cases write-off inventory uh, creating financial problems so we had to uh, get back to the mouse business which was very profitable and at the same time and the reason why we had to refocus uh, a lot was because in 1993 uh, Microsoft came up with Windows 93 it was the first time there was a real offering competitive with a Macintosh because both platform had a mouse and graphical user interface and then it was an explosion in volume for mice so we were well ready mm-hmm. but but it was also the time when uh, uh, the Taiwanese competitors entered very brutally the U.S. market uh, under, uh, under fighting the people like IBM, Compaq. So the price of a PC went from $6,000 or $5,000 down to less than $2,000. And this created a huge restructuring of this um, uh, personal computer business in the U.S. Some, many people went broke. And we were in the middle of it. And there we were told by the compact, for instance, that, you know, we love your product. Quantity will be tripled or tenfold from what we had done until now. But the price had to be divided by two. So yeah. overnight we were faced of wow, a factory in, 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 in Ireland, the factory in Fremont, California, one in Taiwan, but it was not enough. So we had to move everything overnight to China. That's somehow was, I mean, we could have died there, uh, but it's also having done it very early on, we were ahead of anybody else. Um, and this saved us and made us very competitive. And maybe that's why we still have an interview today because China is still very important for us. And we were able to develop China because we had been anticipating Taiwan in 1986 because of Apple or thanks to Apple. And, and, and stay in the business because going in China in 1992-1993, there was no way. I mean, it was not yeah. developed. There was no airport in Pudong. There was no highway. There was nothing. And, um, and we started in a, in a strange country. And, and because our people from Taiwan, they all came from China somehow, mm-hmm. they allowed us to, to establish factories there, which is still there today and, and very competitive. And this is such an impressive story. And you, you sort of seem to do the same thing over and over again. You learn it at the smaller scale, or you do learn it from the first time, and then you replicate it the second time, just much bigger. Well, you know, we are, we are in, in a very fast-moving, very competitive, it's brutal, but also very exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the point is that you don't have much time to make it right. And it's like surfing on, on the lake with a wind force six, so it's very thrilling, but then you can easily fall into the water. And if you do, you'd better get back on the yeah, board exactly. and, and sail again. And I think this is the environment where we are. And clearly, uh, China was, was for us uh, uh, not an option. It was a must. Yeah. And the must at the same time to move all the manufacturing we had going on for OEMs, because all the European OEMs, IBM, Sun Microsystem, Compaq, and so on, they still wanted to buy from us, but at a much lower price. And the factory we had there couldn't make it. Mm-hmm. So we had to have Ireland transferring all their manufacturing into China, knowing that afterward we would just yeah. stop manufacturing. So they were great teamship. And that's when we need people to stay behind because they had no future with us, but still they, they help us a lot. So I think it shows how, how much of a small company, but very linked to one another and sharing the same dream, which allows us to survive. Yeah. Water damage or a fire in the office building can mean the end of your startup if you're not properly insured. Whether I'm just starting a new company or growing fast, the topic of insurance is often not a top priority. And that's totally fine. Yet, it's hugely important to be properly covered here. On a personal recommendation, I turned to the insurance broker WSR partner with my first company. The advice is highly professional and completely independent. As an expert, WSR partner understands the situation of my startup and obtains quotes from various insurance companies so that I can choose the best offer. They are paid directly by the insurance companies. There were no cost for me at all. Because we work with Alex and the team of WSR partner, we offer you a free consultation. Get independent and professional advice, whether for startups or an insurance check for established companies. Book your free appointment now at 
www.swisspreneur.org slash WSR. I just wonder if you think back of that day, you know, when the huge external price shock hit the market, you basically, you could have also said, we go high price, we do low volumes, we stay very exclusive in the premium brand, but you decided to go for the probably the winner takes it all market, whoever can produce the most at the com most competitive price. Yeah, in 92, you, you still have to remember that actually OEM and retail was about the same level of sales. So it was yeah. not, we can drop this part and, and, right. and, and just go for higher pricing if you want. Yeah. Secondly, OEM would keep telling us and teaching us how to produce quality in large volume. Uh, OEM would also allow us to get an economy of scale. So what we would sell at retail would have a higher margin because the cost of producing those millions of products was very, very efficient if you want. So, so and, and, and uh, we were ambitious to keep serving the top 20 uh, largest OEM producers of PC in the world at the same time as growing into the retail. So. You know, it, it was exciting because the challenge was there, but it's, we could have died. I mean, it was not an easy move. Yeah, yeah brutal times. As you and said. the other guy went for a high price. Actually, they all disappeared yeah. over yeah. time because they couldn't compete anymore. So you made the right call. <laughs> well, lucky. Yeah, luck again. Yeah. You also mentioned the Scanman line, which did not work out because it was a smaller market than, than the mice market. I wonder how did you balance, you know, innovation but also failure at the same time. How do you find the right balance as well, a company? It's, it was very difficult because, you know, after the mouse was known by people, uh, especially the outside world, and, and <laughs> I wouldn't blame to them, but still, the journalists, you know, were looking for new things, and and clearly uh, uh, the technology was there to make a handheld scanner or audio man or and you know the pc was always more powerful so you would have other things uh, gaming uh, as a platform and and audio for the music so it was a natural move if you want it's just that we always uh, were thinking that maybe this market will be one tenth of a mouse market in terms of volume right. and eventually it was one thousandth of, a, yeah. <laughs> of the market. So we just miss it by the volume of, of what we produce. But eventually today, it's interesting to see that today, everything that we had in, 90, in the 90s is there. You know, the, the, the webcam yes. was already there in 1996. Uh, the gaming was there already in 1994. So sometimes it was just a matter of never giving up and, uh, and, and slowing down and, and waiting some market, market to match her, yeah. So basically to go back to the analogy that you used before, staying long enough on the surfboard until the right wave catches absolutely, you. Absolutely, absolutely. Don't be too, too nervous and don't be too, uh, too much in a hurry. Be patient, yeah. But still, you do have to make investments there, even if you leave the product running at the low scale, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, try and fail and never fail to try, but do it the right way. Don't put all your eggs in the same basket. Yeah. But you should try things. I mean, you should never, you know, don't stay put. Try those things. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, but it's small, it's fine. And if yeah. it works, it's, it's great. You know, I mean, the one thing which was absolutely great at the time was the webcam. Because we, we did it at Logitech in 1996 for Silicon Graphics, the first video conference system. Mm -hmm. Then we acquired in 1998 ConnectX, which was number one in the retail part of the webcam with a Yahoo video and so on. Uh, and today we still are in a similar business, if you want. So, so you have to invest early, but you have to do it right. Um, and not do it like we have done, uh, maybe because we were kind of too, I don't know what, when in the early uh, 2010, 10, 11, we had these Google TV things, where, where, which was big step into a new world with Google. And, uh, and it was too early and, and too big. Yeah. And this could have killed us again, yeah. So if I understand you correctly, take small bets with a limited downside, but a large upside potential. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and be early. And, and, and second point also, be very flexible, agile, and fast. You can do it wrong once, but not twice. Mm -hmm. uh, if you are not the first, it's not an issue if you can react and move fast afterward. And of course, the bigger you become, the more resources you have to be a bit late and acquire someone to move forward. But don't go full blown. Don't put all your eggs into yeah. the same basket because this can be very expensive, especially when you do hardware. If it's software, it's, it's bad, but not as bad. Hardware, you spend millions of yeah. inventories that you have then to write off. You yeah. know? 
that's a situation you and don't this want is to what in. also is, has made us different if you if you take uh, uh, people like um, like GoPro with a lot of problem it's because they were very much on the software and and image side and soft you know GoPro yes but not on the hardware yeah. and when the market became tough uh, they had to eat up a lot of hardware which they couldn't sell and yeah. and so so I think that this, uh, we were lucky because we had time to learn little by little. And this is certainly an advantage for us nowadays to be able to produce millions of products while being able to control the inventory, the logistic and everything going along with that. Absolutely. You know, you have to be different than the other guys. And uh, so maybe we are the little apple of the, uh, of the peripherals. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> Let's also talk about your IPO. First, you IPO'd in the late 80s in Switzerland and then in the 90s in the US. Why was going IPO the right strategy for you? Well, I mean, IPO, it's always something difficult if you want on one side because it certainly put a lot of pressure and stress on, on many things. It forced you on the other side to be to be under stress and do the right things and be able to communicate well. Uh, it's also the, the vehicle to get money because as you keep growing manufacturing, you need outside money and certainly friends and family cannot anymore support you. So it's, it's on one side, it's tough. On the other side, it's necessary. Uh, I would say maybe evil, but it's necessary. And finally, as, 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 as a small company where sometimes salaries were not very high, you could attract people through stock options and stock option was a way to share the benefits, but then your shares must have a value. And it's only by going public that you give a value to your shares. True. Would you do that path? Would you choose that path again today? I think yes, because, you know, all over the world, it's a la one language that employs good people, mm -hmm. uh, best people we want to attract. They understand and that's the only way to really make a difference in your life every day. Because maybe you, if you are lucky and you have a jackpot, you can buy a new car, a new house. And uh, that was been driving uh, Silicon Valley the way it has uh, all along. Yeah, exactly. Then there's something else that happened in 1998. You actually decided to step down as CEO. Why was that the right time to do so? Well, I think that at the time I, I had lost uh, Giacomo Marini in 92. So he left after 10 years. Uh, in 97, just after the IPO of, um, of in, on NASDAQ, which we had as well, for also the reason that there were not very many analysts to actually cover us in Switzerland. We are a special animal here. So in the stock market, there was not much trading. So the NASDAQ was really the vehicle for us to actually create more, more uh, analyst reviews as well as uh, having a currency, which is a dollar uh, for the employees we had in the US. So it was something, uh, something very, very important. Um, but clearly, uh, Pierre-Luigi was not there. And, and, uh, and I think it was time also for my family and my wife, again, uh, who wanted to go back to Europe because it's true that after Stanford, uh, we went back to Switzerland, as I said before. But then in 92, with the crisis, the whole family moved to the US. There was no choice anymore. Mm -hmm. She stopped working. And uh, I think in 1998, she really wanted to go back uh, in Europe in some way. So, you know, after 17 years, uh, of running the world uh, away from your family, you need a little bit of rest uh, before you die, especially if you are alone. So I, I figured out that it was the right time also to hire someone with a different background. As I said before, uh, we were all founders, very much engineers. Uh, I was lucky to be able to find Guarino De Luca, who came from Apple as VP of marketing worldwide. And um, I think it was a nice thing for the company to be able to evolve from an engineering-based company into a marketing-based company, if you want. And I went along with him very well. Um, he had also the European uh, background, plus Silicon Valley, because he had worked there for Apple. So it was a nice way for me to become chairman and, and create this uh, uh, check and balance with him. So I could travel back and forth between Europe and the US, uh, be more with my family than I had been before. And, uh, and, 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 and also it was a time when the internet, which was there for a while, but I mean, 1996, really a lot of application uh, boosted the, uh, the internet market or the PC market um, of everyone would serve the net with a personal computer. Right. So, I mean, Guerino coming from Apple, he had the right touch to make it happen and, and, and it was all the technology we had developed before. So he came with a good position because Every other product which didn't work was cleaned up. Uh, the company had, had money in the bank. 
Um, so he can really take it in a very positive way towards the future. And he, 10 years, he certainly had done very well between 1998 to 2008, yeah. So really also the transition from uh, an engineering company towards a marketing company. Yeah, yeah, it was, was, was perfect, perfect. And how did he actually manage that transition on a personal level? Because stepping down as a CEO, also as a founder, basically, that can be difficult. Well, I mean, the, the good news is that when you are a founder, it's like your child. It's all, yeah. always going to be your child. So, you know, there is no problem because you feel like home anytime. It's not like if you are a CEO from outside and you are no more a CEO, it's more difficult. In my case, you know, you, you, you know, you have been learned to prepare the coffee, to clean the the, the bathroom for all your employees all, all lifelong, you know, people lunch so they are happy and work hard and, and best. Uh, there it was even better because I had a great partner with whom I could have fun. And it was, again, suddenly everything was aligned because the market was going up. Our product and technology could be used and be deployed better than ever before. Yeah. So I think it was a very enjoyable time for me, yes, those 10 years, yeah. So also there, the perfect wave that you found to, yeah, to step yeah, I mean, down. Again, lucky. <laughs> what, was it for you difficult at any moment no, to really no. leave the operational role? No, because, I mean, you, you, it doesn't prevent, you know. Well, what, what is important is to be able to, 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 to live your dream and, and serve the wave. And, and there, you know, you don't need to be the pilot. You can be the co-pilot or you can right. look at the world with different eyes. You can find new opportunities uh, aside what's going on. And no, no, it was a very, very... And I was learning also, let's be frank. I mean, learning from, from someone from the market and, and the yeah. way he was doing it. So, you know, you, you can grow personally. It's, it's, it's fine. No, 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 yeah. no, no problem whatsoever. Yeah. That's probably the best motivation. <laughs> yes. You know, you also mentioned the tough times where you just survived basically by going to China at the right time, for example. Yeah. What kept you going through these tough times? Did you never just yeah. want to quit it all and give up? Well, no, I mean, f first of all, I mean, uh, until 1988, <laughs> you know, we had all the red carpet from the bankers who wanted to take us public. <laughs> we had all the glamorous time. We were profitable as a company and so on and so forth. And it was enjoyable. And, and, and suddenly the storm come on you. And uh, uh, I think it's the taste of, of what we had before, the enjoy, en enjoyment of the time of inventing the future or being part of this industry, inventing the future, was, was so good, so strong, so good memories. Then when you suddenly face it that you can lose it all overnight, you are not going to let it go this way. Uh, first of all, we learned that success is never final, which has been important all along since that time. And second point, we learned that, you know, as Winston Churchill said, never ever give up and, uh, and fight. And I think that uh, we had created a, an identity strong enough in the company that many people really stayed with us, didn't go away. I mean, all the Swiss-based years, engineers, mm -hmm. they wanted to fight like hell. And uh, that's somehow the time also when they invented the, the cordless technology, the wireless technology here, uh, the optical technology here. So at the time, many, many uh, technology which have been used and still being used somehow improve, of course, over time uh, because people didn't want to let it go. I mean, they, they had so much fun, so much uh, pleasure in this uh, in, in, in their jobs if you want yeah. as I said before you know by having a passion you avoid to have a job and they were very very passionate and this was what saved us because <coughs> very frankly it became so tough so painful so difficult you know the layoff of 175 people in Ireland um, bringing down the manufacturing in Fremont stopping manufacturing here in Switzerland and restarting in you know you, you really had to to have a, a vision, I mean, our vision, which was always the same of the interface between people and technology, which never changed. Uh, and this faith and passion allowed us to really walk through the, the, the storm uh, without looking at the storm, but looking at the bigger picture. And thanks God, it took us after three, four years, uh, uh, again, the pleasure to be there and, 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 and this feeling of succeeding all together mm -hmm. and creating a Terrific teamwork, yeah. In that regard, you also said that if Logitech would have failed, you had to leave Switzerland, you once said, because then <laughs> you would have had the, the failure well, stamp. Well, 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 certainly I had no money, saved money on the side. Uh, it's true that all said that, you know, if I, if I would go broke, it didn't matter because um, I had learned so much that yeah. I felt that 
my level of understanding of the business of the world, you know, the com micro, micro computer world at the time between the 80s and the mid 90s, uh, you learn everything of any business. I mean, I, I, I felt I could have run any business because I, I would have had this sense of urgency, this sense of what you do, what you don't do that my value would have been at least minimum. I would have at least been able to find a good job afterwards. Yeah. But, but clearly, I mean, you know, it's, it's still nicer to be your own boss and uh, not depend. Of course. <laughs> but I think anyone. in that regard, you also mentioned that, you know, it's also a cultural thing in Switzerland. Yeah. That if you fail, people yeah, yeah, judge yeah. you, right? You're right. I think that's when we started in Apple uh, in 82, 83, 84. I mean, you know, it's a small village. So everyone is behind their window looking at what you are doing and so on. Yeah. And as you know, I mean, people don't always like people who succeed. So they'd rather see you failing. But it's true that once you fail, uh, you know, banks would never talk to you anymore. And like in the yeah. US, if you fail, uh, people said, oh, they've got great experience. They learn from this one. Exactly. Uh, this time, it's a good time to invest in them because they'll go further. Here, it's rather than, you know, go away, you know. It's, exactly. I don't think it would have been a very pleasant experience to fail and to go broke in Switzerland. Do you think that we still live in that Switzerland that is risk averse or have things improved? I, frankly, I've not lived enough in Switzerland because I live everywhere but yeah. in Switzerland, even so I like this country. Um, and uh, and I couldn't say. But I think that this thing, the schadenfreude, uh, is something which is, you know, just the word itself, by the fact it does exist, means something, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a fair point. <laughs> One last point I want to address here is, um, you know, you mentioned you fought many battles uh, against potential going out of business, uh, laying off people. So that's really, really exhausting. How did you actually take care of yourself and recharge during all this, these times and stresses? Because of people, you know, I think a company is, is all about people, people, people. I mean, the people is what makes a difference. Uh, the engineers we have here, the people in China manufacturing and so on. So first of all, you owe them, all the people who have been fought, fighting with you, you owe them everything, point number one. Second point, uh, I think that we always, and especially personally, took great care of anyone you had to let go. I mean, everyone who was let go uh, when it was manufacturing in the 1988, mm -hmm. uh, we found a job for, we had only 60 people, but it's a lot, 60 people. Yeah. Everyone, we were able to find them a job, a yeah. uh, replacement job. Uh, and each time we had, we were very generous with the package we gave the people. And, and as I said, you know, we never can ensure people to keep their job forever. But very early on, we had program to keep developing people. We used technology, which if people would lose their, lose their job here, they could easily find a job somewhere else because they were overqualified compared to what people could find. And this is what you owe your people. And, and I think that this, you, you know, if, if you look at our logo, which was with the eye, it was the eye for the customer, but also the eye for your employee. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and this is part of our culture and I think value. Uh, which which kept us kept us also survive, surviving because we were not always as profitable as we could have been, but certainly this uh, human potent capital we had, uh, which is not on your balance sheet, it's an intangible in the company, and you never appear anywhere, is what makes the difference. And I think that we survived because of the people here. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah I it's think true. It's true. this shows really the importance uh, that you really should pay attention to your team. Absolutely. You fight the battles you, you owe them, them everything. So. They give you the strengths when, when, when you have to fight, you know, they are mm -hmm. the one with you, they're on your team and right. people who have to go, they know that they have to go. So it's not firing, it's, it's just, you know, we have to part away and, and that's sad, but let's do it as best as we can. Yeah. yeah. And talking about people, also really important people in your life are obviously your family. So despite spending a lot of time abroad, they were always a super important supporter for you. How? Did your family support you along the way? Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe the only thing I can say is that I'm still married and more than 50 years after. So at least it's a long, long life together with my wife. Uh, not always easy, but still together. Uh, I think that my sweet children that I never get to see. Maybe it was better because they all went back into technology after afterward. Um, you know, maybe that's because my, you know, children you usually do what you don't want them to do, right? They oppose it somehow. 
So maybe being with my wife, my wife wanted them to be veterinar veterinarian and they didn't go there, but they went into <laughs> my, my corner, which was more technology because I was never there to, to push them in, in, in technology. Yeah. But it's, 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 I mean, you do it for your family. I mean, I think that um, uh, without the family it would have been even tougher because somehow to have an anchor, it's always, I think for any person, you have to have an anchor. I mean, you can go to China, you can go to Japan, you can go to the US, you can fight, you can you know, go through misery, mm -hmm. but you also always know that you have a home place to go back in case. Exactly. And I think it's, from a psychological point of view, it's something extremely important. And I also think there really the, the long relationship that you have with your wife, 50 plus years, I mean, congratulations, that's wonderful. You, yeah. <laughs> and I also think it's so important to have the right focus because then you have Of course, yeah, you have yeah. ups and downs together, but you have the full focus on the company can manage every challenge. You yeah. don't have to fight three challenges, two in your personal life and no, one in the no, business no, at this, the same this, time. This you don't want. Yeah. You don't want that, no. I also wonder with your children, I mean, you're probably the most entrepreneurial family here in Switzerland with huge exits, with, even with your children. What did you actually teach them? Or you said not that much, or was it just in the no, DNA? I, I think maybe, you know, sometimes you say there is a, a way in a company, different way of managing, and you can say managing yeah. by example. Right. So I think that despite everything I went through, I was always happy. I was always fascinated by the world. I was always passionate by what I was doing. I think maybe yeah. I, give them, I gave them the envy to do something similar. Not the same because everyone, they have to have each of them their own life. Mm -hmm. But at least despite all of that, I think that I was, I was certainly uh, uh, selling, selling the job of engineering. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And nowadays you're giving back uh, and you do so in a numerous ways. Um, in the early 2000s, you actually created Swiss Up, a foundation dedicated to fostering excellence in education in Switzerland. So what was lacking in the Swiss education system? Well, I, I think that one of the things which, uh, when you know, I, I had hired uh, Guerino in 1998, so I had a little bit more time for myself and I was more back in to Switzerland. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and clearly it was interesting to see that, um, when, when I remember I went sometime in late nineties, early 2000, I went to, Sa to San Francisco and in San Francisco, you had newspaper, which you would open it and say, you know, Yahoo was there and those guys were there and, and they were just enjoying the life and making money. And you would come here and you open the newspaper and. The only thing which was interesting to the newspaper and journalists was this company is laying off people. Yeah. This doesn't work. That doesn't work. And, you know, and, and, and I said, boy, I mean, if, if I could do it, I would have done a, a Swiss app was many things. Could have been a, a, a website where, where entrepreneurs can communicate with one another because there were a lot of entrepreneurs, but mm -hmm. so dispersed that there is no critical mass that you can zoom in there and... Yeah. And I wanted to kind of say education, uh, startup, uh, creating these things. And, and, and that's why I, I, I felt I wanted to bring back a little bit of Silicon Valley to, to Switzerland. Uh, SwissApp also was uh, sponsoring a, a chairwoman in engineering. The lady is still here now, 10 years after, to show ladies that she could go and, 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 and be an engineer. And there was nothing wrong for a lady. And, 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 and so I, I felt I wanted my country to not to be the same of Silicon Valley, but it's not the way, but to create things, to invent the future. And, and I think that nowadays you see a lot of uh, startup going on and, uh, and, and, and I'm happy about that. It's a beautiful development. Yeah. Yeah. And a second initiative that actually started with your wife is called DefiTech, which yeah. <laughs> manufactures computer technology for handicapped people. Why was well, that an issue I, well, that you I wanted? I think for many, many years, Logitech was asked by handicapped people or handicap association if we could make product or just adapt product for for the handicapped people and and you know we never had any time to already do what we had to do ourselves to compete so we couldn't so again when i had a little bit more time with my wife we decided to create this foundation where we could use technology to help uh, handicapped people in their daily life so we had different step in there and the uh, first step was to create a center for handicapped people because we don't realize but many parents are, are just suffering like hell you know every day they have to take care Uh, of, of, of the kids who cannot move, cannot communicate. So one of the first projects was to bring video conferencing. It was very early on. 
uh, mm -hmm. into into places like uh, families or hospital. Uh, it was also to help handicapped people to their school, so they can you know they can carry a book and so on. But with the iPad of the time, and um, and then we had organized camp where they could do activity, but also learn how to to use uh, mm -hmm. computer devices. So in their daily lives, they could be like normal people. And then we moved away from this daily thing, uh, which, which is very heavy and, and, and to go to invest uh, more into, into the future somehow. And uh, we have team up uh, here in, uh, in, in Lausanne now in a project which is called uh, Neuro Restore, uh, where there are people from uh, the Shuv, from EPFL, from the Suva in Venice, which is rehabilitation. So people who are just cannot walk anymore because they are paraplegic to try to make them walk again. And, uh, and wow. uh, if, if you go to defitech.ch, you, you will be able to see what's going on right now. Great things going on. So we have turned the page of learning here and now uh, trying to, to give hope to people so they can have a normal life after they... You know, you don't realize, we had a person, a lawyer at Logitech in California, I went um, doing VTT of the weekend, 32 years old, mm -hmm. and he never came back. I mean, he came back paralyzed because yeah. his, his, his bicycle stopped and he fell the bridge. You know, life yeah. can stop there. So now we have a helping handicapped to have a dream again, and hopefully we'll make it successful, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. So we also wonder what's next for you, what's keeping you busy today and in the future. <laughs> Six grandchildren, my friend. Six <laughs> grandchildren, uh, a sailing boat going around the world, which was great. All carbon fiber and, and just uh, a piece of technology and, and clearly going back to the family, you know, the full circle. So, you know, the full circle. I started at EPFL. Eventually, we had a here Logitech back to EPFL after many, mm -hmm. many other houses uh, or offices around Switzerland. Um, and, uh, and, and same for, uh, for the family, you know, now you, you maybe didn't do it all right with the kids, but hopefully you can do it right with your grandchildren. So that's uh, right. the next step. I had a couple of other, uh, but not, not very many, very, very few uh, startups that I've helped. Mm -hmm. And again, that's where you find young people with a lot of energy and, and you can share their passion. You know, in the past, I was sharing my passion with other people. Nowadays, they share their passion with me. So what else can I ask for? I mean, so the passion I, is really full, the red full, line. Full, full circle and yeah. a great life. So I'm very thankful for what I was able to live through. And I'm only encouraging people to try and fail, but never fail to try. Yeah, Wonderful. I think that's a perfect wrap. <laughs> we do have some rapid fire questions okay, for you. It's a very last part. So I either give you a short question or a selection and you have yeah. to make a choice and state your answer in one sentence. Are you ready? Sure. Mouse, keyboard or webcam? They're all my children, kids. I love them all. <laughs> if you had to choose one? No, I won't. You know, it's like your children. You don't choose one, you love them all. Fair point. <laughs> what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Well, I'd say, you know, give yourself to dream a chance to dream, uh, try things, and above all, find your passion. Yeah. So you don't need to find a job. And, and it's so true because it's not, you have to be a tech guy, you have to be university, I mean, anything. You, you can work on wood and, and, or an electrician guy. I mean, mm -hmm. just find your passion yeah. and you'll be happy for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Founder, manager, or investor? Oh, founder. That's easy. <laughs> Starting a company in the 80s or the 21st century? You know, it's like when you go to school and, you know, your, your grandson, when he goes to his um, baccalaureate or gymnasium, he said, oh, today it's much tougher than your time, your old time. <laughs> yes. I think it's always tough, always tough, yeah. anytime. And, uh, you know, rules are changing, but um, it's always great, but also always very tough. So. Yeah. No choice for one or the other. It's always tough, doesn't Absolutely, matter. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and the bootstrapping or VC money? I think, you know, at the end of the day, uh, whatever is best to make your dream come true, uh, bootstrapping is certainly more fun, but miss VC sometimes is very much needed because you need the money. Yeah. Especially when you see the startup today, they go up to 40, 50 million uh, borrowing uh, before they go public. This, you cannot do it by yourself. So VC is very important. Yeah. 
In my case, I, I love better to have the bootstrapping I had done, sure. but uh, I'm not sure it's always possible anymore. Yeah. And the very last one for you today, Silicon Valley or Apple, Switzerland? Oh, both. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's true because, I mean, we live in a world which is global. I know people don't like this wording global anymore, but it's true that, you know, for Logitech, we had the engineers here. Uh, we had the market in the US. Without the US market, we couldn't feed our family. Yeah. Without the engineers here, we could have never found the right engineer over there. They do exist, but they go to Intel, they go to Microsoft, they go to Apple, they don't go to a little startup like Logitech. So you need the best of both worlds. And if you want to operate and manufacture large volume, low price, good quality, you need Asia. No. So in some way, it's never one or the other. It's all together and it makes the best of all. So it's the world, basically. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time. It was a pleasure talking to you and Indeed, all the best was. of taking care it of was. your grandchildren. Okay, absolutely. I will be sure. Okay, thank you. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by Swisspreneur's main partner, Clara Business, the digital all-in-one solution for small businesses. Managing internal processes manually and on paper wastes an incredible amount of time. That's why Clara digitizes everything, allowing you to focus on what really matters, your core business. Go to clara.ch to find out how your business administration can be simpler, faster, and more efficient. Again, that's clara.ch.